Hello, this is Randy Sutton. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. You can watch this show on YouTube. You can hear it on the America Out Loud Network at americaoutloud.com. You can see it on Facebook, too, if you want. And uh, on this show, we talk about all things law enforcement, uh, news, and information. I'm Randy Sutton. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am the author of A Cop's Life and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Welcome to another episode. I'm going to start today's show a little differently with uh, sometimes I, I call it my view from the blue. But I have a message for America. And that message is this. It is time for unity. It is time for America to stand up and stand together with its law enforcement. We've seen years now of uh, a massive surge in violent crime across America. We have seen a concerted effort by many political leaning politicians from uh, the head of the government of the United States downward through local uh, political groups to demean law enforcement, to dehumanize law enforcement. And the reality is this, when we do that as a nation, we make our entire country less safe for all of us. And that's why I call for unity now, because Without our country coming together, without our nation uniting together and behind our law enforcement officers throughout the nation, then we will give in to what many on the political left wish, and that is to divide our country and create the opportunity for a massive upheaval in our nation's safety. Now let's look at the realities. We've seen major crime uh, going up, uh, violent crime in almost every American major city from Los Angeles to San Francisco to Portland to New York City, Minneapolis, across the nation. And much of it is based on the false narrative that has been placed before the American people by a media that is very complicit with the political left. And that is to put forth the message that there is systemic racism in policing across the nation. The reality is this, I can tell you from being a 34 year police veteran, that there are people that wear the badge that shouldn't. There are people that wear the badge that do harbor racist uh, concepts. That is an individual basis. Systemic racism in law enforcement doesn't exist. In fact, we are seeing a more diverse police profession now than ever in history. And that's a good thing. But we together as a nation must band together in, in, in the common unity of safety, of public safety, of being concerned about each other. 
When I talk about being concerned about each other, I'm talking about the policing world and the people of this nation. When the father of modern policing, Sir Robert Peel, created the concept of a modern police service back in London in the 1800s, he came out with a very um, important phrase in the conceptual phase of creating the London Metropolitan Police Department, Scotland Yard. He said, the people are the police and the police are the people. Never before is that phrase been more poignant than it is today because the police cannot make the world our country safe without the people standing behind them and together with them shoulder to shoulder. I want to tell you about an incident that just occurred, which I think points out the incredible courage that um, a group of people showed in defending some of their police officers. I just returned from Whitcomb County in Washington State. An incident occurred there that we're actually going to be talking about a little later on the show, but I want to tell you about it because it is something that um, I feel is important for the American people to have highlighted. Um, let me give you the brief episode of what happened here. There was a neighbor dispute between two neighbors in this rural area of uh, of uh, Whitcomb County. And this individual was burning leaves in his in his um, property and the the smoke was blowing over into his neighbor's property. So the neighbor came out, he was highly intoxicated and told the his neighbor that he wanted him to stop burning leaves. When he was told that that wasn't going to happen, he went back into his home and retrieved a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, and uh, began firing up into the air. The police were called, two deputies. And when they showed up, they were making their plan that the individual who had done the shooting was now back in his residence. And as of this moment, all they had was a misdemeanor crime of firing up into the air. So while they were making their uh, uh, strategy to how to deal with this, suddenly they were ambushed. The individual with the shotgun opened fire on them from the house, striking them both in the head. Now, fortuitously, there was some distance between the, the shooter and the officers, and he was using uh, in the shotgun, he had birdshot instead of um, a higher level of munitions. But it hit the officers in the head, in the eyes, and both the officers went down. These two officers, these two deputies, were in the most precarious situation that a police officer can imagine. Didn't have their vision. They were literally sitting ducks and waiting for the individual to come back out and finish them off. At this point, neighbors came to intervene. One neighbor armed himself with an AR-15, another with a pistol. And together, they created a safety 
for these officers by opening fire and providing cover fire for these officers, engaging the suspect. A third neighbor led them to safety. And because of the bravery and the willingness to get involved, these officers were saved. I visited with these officers in my role as the founder of the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers. And to help defray the costs that are associated with becoming injured in the line of duty, the organization gave each of those officers $1,000 for babysitting, for relatives coming in, staying in hotels, etc. And I got to meet with these two brave deputies. Um, the fact that they were saved by brave civilians um, was a momentous occasion for them. Uh, we talked about it. They were uh, incredibly humbled uh, by this experience. They both have a long road to recover and hopefully they will recover their eyesight. They were grievously injured. But this bravery, this courage shown by these three people, just common citizens, shows that there is a willingness in America to stand up for your police. Now, courage shows in many ways. This bravery was a physical act of courage where they actually braved gunfire in order to help these deputies. But courage can take many forms. The courage to stand up for what you believe in. The courage to stand and vocalize your support for your law enforcement officers. And so, America, I ask you this. I ask you to get involved. I ask the silent majority to break the silence and tell the world that you support your law enforcement officers. This is the only way that we will be able to affect the change in this country that is necessary for the public safety, for all of us. And that is my view from the blue. We're gonna move right into some news stories. Just as a follow-up for, for what I just told you about those two deputies in Washington, I found it very interesting that this headline came up um, today. Washington deputies file civil suit against suspect who shot them both in the head. The civil suit seeks compensation for medical costs, loss of income, and pain and suffering. This is from the Bellingham Herald, Bellingham, Washington. Two Whitcomb County Sheriff's Office deputies who were shot in the face while responding to a call in the Peaceful Valley neighborhood are bringing a civil lawsuit against the man who is charged with shooting them. The two deputies, Jason Thompson and Ryan Rathbun, and their attorney, Daniel Horn of Campeche Andrews Horn, announced the civil lawsuit against Joel Burke Young in a press conference Friday, March 4th in Seattle. Afterward, they spoke with the reporters from the Bellingham Herald. We have filed a suit against Joel Young for assault and battery of officers, Thompson and Rathburn in the line of duty, when what they were trying to do was de-escalate the situation. Young has already been criminally charged with two counts of attempted premeditated first-degree murder, 
one count of first-degree assault while armed with a firearm, one count of second-degree assault while armed with a firearm, one count of felony harassment, and six counts of reckless endangerment in Whatcom County Superior Court. He has pleaded not guilty, and a jury trial was tentatively scheduled for April. Now, I wanted to highlight this, the fact that these officers are filing civil suit against the man that assaulted them. And it's an important topic because it is one that should be used much more frequently within the criminal justice system than it is. Remember, your police are people. They are citizens, just like all of us. And they have the right to file civil lawsuits when they are wronged. And this is a, an example of that. Um, one thing we, we certainly know is that when the police use force against citizens, very often, whether, whether uh, no matter what the circumstances are, uh, a, a civil lawsuit is filed and there are major compensation issues that come up as a result of that. So why shouldn't the police go after those who physically assault them? I believe if, if law enforcement did this on a more frequent basis, we would see a diminishment of the assaults against them. Now, the last year that the FBI stats were available, I think it was 2020, more than 60,000 American law enforcement officers were physically assaulted in the line of duty. That is a massive number. Imagine that. 60,000 police officers being physically assaulted in the line of duty. That means gunshots. That means knifings. That means beatings. That means being hit by cars intentionally. That means being kicked and being spit upon. And this is taking place all across America. And what we have seen is a lack of consequences from the criminal justice system when it dealing with officers being assaulted. So filing a suit against these individuals that cause injury to our officers, I believe is a step forward in creating consequences for those that choose to physically attack law enforcement officers. And this is another way that, that police can get justice for themselves. So I wanted to bring that up. I thought it was interesting, the timing of it especially. Um, I met both of these two deputies. Uh, both of them, um, you know, are substantially injured. And, uh, you know, think about this. They're, 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 both, they're both husbands and parents and just like, just like you and me. So it's, it's heartening to me to see um, law enforcement officers standing up for themselves and um, and, and using the criminal justice system to gain some justice for themselves. Now, there's a lot of other stuff happening in Washington. Um, when I was when I was uh, meeting with these uh, with these deputies, I also met with the sheriff, um, uh, Elford of of Whatcom County. Um, we had a deep discussion about the challenges that are facing law enforcement in the state of Washington. I don't know if you're aware of this, but of course it's something that 
that all law enforcement is watching, and that is that the state legislature of the state of Washington last year created some of the worst anti-law enforcement, anti-public safety laws created in America. Absolutely absurd, some of the laws that they put into effect, all, all in the irrational um, response to the death of George Floyd and the, and the um, constant criticism by groups like Black Lives Matter about law enforcement officers. So what the state of Washington legislature did was invoke a series of, quote, reforms, unquote. You know, whenever I hear the word reform, you may as well just take that word out and put the word revenge in, because these laws were put into effect to, inf to affect revenge against law enforcement, not to create reform. The police don't need to be reformed. The criminal justice system needs to be reformed to reflect the safety that the, that the public needs. But that's not what happened in the state of Washington. But it threw law enforcement into a tailspin because some of, including one of the things that they did that was they um, basically um, put a law into effect that, that disallows the use of shotguns for the police. I can assure you that the police shotgun is one of the most uh, uh, important tools that they have in defense of themselves and defense of the public. But because of the outcry from using, uh, believe it or not, low lethality ammunition, such as beanbag rounds, what the, what the goofballs in the state legislature did was simply outlaw the use of those caliber weapons that are greater than 50 caliber, um, not taking into, into consideration the fact that a 12-gauge shotgun is higher than 50 caliber. So what they did was they removed an important tool for the safety of law enforcement officers. It shows you that the, the thinking that went along with this, this, this rush to create an anti-law enforcement um, series of laws. Well, there, there was a number of other just incredibly dumb laws that were passed. And now, because of uh, the realities of passing these laws have now, have now um, been felt in the lack of public safety, the state legislature now has to eat some crow and change some of those laws. And that's what just happened here. I'm going to read this. <clears throat> I think it's really important. This is from an article, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Spokesman uh, Review from Washington. Washington governor signs bill clarifying last year's police reform laws. And uh, Jay Inslee, the governor there, is uh, pretty much an anti-law enforcement radical himself. He's just been drinking the Kool-Aid, <clears throat> just like some of the morons in the state legislature that, put, that, that wrote these laws, and he just signed them, just signed his name to them. So he's no peach either. Two bills that would tweak... I love them. I love the way they're minimizing um, what they did. Two bills that would tweak police reform measures passed last year 
are now law after Governor Jay Inslee signed them Friday. Two other more controversial bills dealing with the definition of, quote, use of force, unquote, still are making their way through the legislature. Inslee on Friday signed a bill that clarifies the use of physical force against a person who needs mental health assistance. He signed another bill that allows law enforcement agencies to use and acquire ammunition of 50 caliber or greater and other types of firearms, 50 caliber or greater. And this is what, this is his quote. When we take steps forward, we learn and we improve. I'm glad legislators have had an open mind to listen to what is actually happening in the field and to respond. After the legislature passed a sweeping package of police reform, there's that word again, legislation last year, law enforcement agencies expressed concern that officers were unable to do their jobs under the new rules. They pushed for clarity on a number of topics, including the use of force, vehicular pursuits, and military equipment. Most people could agree that more clarity was needed to allow officers to use physical force to respond to mental health calls, but disagreement remained on the definition of physical force. And of course, families of those killed by police say law enforcement agencies are exaggerating their confusion with the law because they don't want to change. One bill that passed 32 to 16 in the state Senate on Friday would define physical force, something not clearly defined in last year's laws and when it can be used. Uh, all those voting against the bill were Democrats, as many took issue with the language indicating when an officer can use physical force to stop a subject fleeing from a scene. Let me give you a real-world example. Just days after these laws were passed, police responded to a homicide scene, a murder. A witness saw the suspect running into a wooded area. A police canine was on the scene, but because of these new laws, they were unable to deploy the canine because that is considered a use of force. As a result, the suspect escaped. These are the real-world examples of the laws that were passed in Washington. The, physical for the bill defines physical force as any act reasonably likely to cause physical pain or injury or any other act exerted upon a person's body to compel, control, constrain, or restrain the person's movement. It would allow officers to use physical force against a person to, quote, the extent necessary to protect against a criminal offense when there is probable cause that the person has committed or is committing the offense. Now, that's a problem. Probable cause is a legal definition. And in the heat of the moment when officers are responding to uh, a scene, that probable cause may not exist when they are using force in order to detain someone. That's why there are th these uh, new uh, changes to these laws must be made. In fact, another bill re deals with vehicular pursuits because basically in the, quote, reform laws, it just said no vehicle pursuits, which is, which is insane. The, this bill uh, that, that just passed uh, allows officers to engage in vehicle pursuits when there is reasonable suspicion, which is a much broader term and one that is more consistent 
with laws across the country. Reasonable suspicion that a person has or is committing a violent offense, a sex offense, escape or driving under the influence, and when not pursuing, has serious risk of harm to others. And finally, all the House members voted for that. So we are seeing some changes for the better. But why, I ask you, did these reform, quote, revenge laws come into existence to begin with? It was all based on the irrational response that was put forth after the killing of George Floyd. And no matter how you look at that, at that incident, all law enforcement officers in this nation are now paying the price for what one individual officer did. And the, the irreparable harm that has been brought about by the, the political uh, left who used this death, this tragedy, for their own purposes in pushing forth an agenda that is the antithesis of public safety. Um, they, they, when I say they, I mean the uh, politicians who are still running with this, by the way, um, and, and the uh, complicit media have, in all realities, created a much more dangerous environment across the country because of pushing this agenda. These laws that were passed in Washington, and with, with by the way, with basically no input from law enforcement, of course, um, are a stark example of the, of the damages that have been put forth to this nation, all based on an irrational response to a single incident. Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens both in the air and on surfaces in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Our invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds. 
one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. When I, when I present these news stories to you, and very often I will, of course, take the law enforcement um, profession and try and explain to you why decisions are made. And, and sometimes it may seem as I am condoning behaviors that you may think are a little, a little uh, dodgy. So I don't want you to think that I don't completely understand that misconduct um, occurs within the law enforcement community. It does. I know that. I've combated it for years. Um, misconduct, corruption are part of the law enforcement landscape. They always have been. They always will be. Because when you deal with the human condition and you deal with, with people, you're always going to find those within any profession that A, shouldn't be there, or B, have made grave errors in judgment or, or intentionally um, uh, flouted the rules, regulations, and laws. There's a saying in law enforcement that nobody wants a bad cop gone more than a good cop. And that is very, very true. And cumulatively look at the number of police officers who are purged from policing every year, you would be shocked. Thousands of law enforcement officers lose their jobs every year because of self-policing. And it's absolutely vital that law enforcement does that. So it is, it is, it takes place every single day. It gets no attention at all by the media or by the political left because it doesn't go along with their narrative. Here is uh, an example. Um, I'm going to read this. this is from the Associated Press. Ex-officer <clears throat> pleads guilty in rough arrest of woman with dementia. Austin Hopp faces up to eight years in prison when he's sentenced in May for a second-degree assault. This has occurred out of um, a, a city in De uh, close to Denver. <clears throat> a former Colorado police officer shown on body camera video roughly arresting a 73-year-old woman with dementia and later joking about it with colleagues pleaded guilty to assault Wednesday in a plea deal opposed by the woman's family. Austin Hopp faces up to eight years in prison when he's sentenced in May for second-degree assault, although the judge has discretion to sentence him to probation or a halfway house. He had faced a mandatory prison sentence between 10 and 32 years under an original, more serious assault count he was charged with. 
Hop arrested Karen Gardner in 2020 after she left a store without paying for about $14 worth of items in Loveland, about 50 miles from north of Denver. Police body camera shows that after she turned away from him, he grabbed her arm and pushed her to the ground, still holding the wildflowers she had been picking as she walked through a field. The video from the Loveland Police Department's body camera footage shows Karen Garner on the ground while being arrested. The footage shows that when Hop had Garner pushed against the hood, she tried to turn around and repeated that she was trying to go home. He then pushed her against the car and moved her bent left arm near her head, holding it, saying, are you finished? Are you finished? We don't play this game. A federal lawsuit the Garner filed claimed he dislocated her shoulder. The city settled for $3 million, which her family said will pay for the around-the-clock care she has needed after her condition deteriorated following her arrest. Now, <clears throat> I saw the body cam video for this. Um, and then, it, to make matters worse, later on, the officer was heard joking about um, injuring this woman. It was an embarrassing thing to watch, even though, of course, I'm no longer a police officer myself, uh, to watch someone utilize that degree of force on a frail woman was something that, uh, you know, personally embarrassed me. And this is the, this type of behavior um, is not condoned by law enforcement. In fact, the fact that this individual was brought up on charges internally uh, is an example of how, to, how the police police their own. But clearly, when an individual commits an act of misconduct um, under the color of law, the, the, the um, mechanisms are in place to deal with that. And it's vitally important that we do. So even though it's painful to me to even bring these type of stories out to you, it's, it's uh, a, a reality <clears throat> that if I wasn't to tell you about these type of incidents, then uh, my credibility would be impugned because there are two sides to the, uh, the argument about law enforcement use of force. You know, it, it's funny that, that um, I, I'm bringing this up now because police use of force is probably the most misunderstood topic when it comes down to to law enforcement. And, and another uh, article that just came out is going to, I'm going to illustrate that point. Um, the Breonna Taylor shooting in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, was another one of those incredibly high profile uh, incidents that took place, um, which led to even more riots and also to the uh, furthering of the narrative of racist policing. You'll remember that Breonna Taylor was shot and killed by an officer uh, while a search warrant was being conducted. Um, the search warrant actually involved her boyfriend who was with her at the time that the officers uh, made entry into the apartment. The boyfriend, even though this was a quote, no knock warrant, unquote, the officers did knock and announce and this was proven in court later, that they were the police and they had a search warrant. Well, the boyfriend of Breonna Taylor opened fire 
on the officers, hitting one of them. Officers returned fire, and inadvertently, because of the proximity where Breonna Taylor was standing near her boyfriend, who was firing at the police, she was hit, and she died. A tragic occurrence, of course, but unintentional. It caused riots. It caused more and more um, outcry about racist policing, even though race played no factor in this. Um, and then during that, that call for <clears throat> that call for revenge against the police, um, there were multiple investigations done. Those investigations resulted in clearing most of the officers from that shooting. However, one officer was charged and brought to trial. That's what I'm going to read to you now. This is from the Associated Press. Ex-officer cleared in shooting during Breonna Taylor raid. The jury of eight men and four women delivered his verdict about three hours after it took the case. Kentucky jury on Thursday cleared a former police officer of charges that he endangered neighbors when he fired shots into an apartment during the 2020 drug raid that ended with the death of Breonna Taylor. The panel of eight men and four women delivered its verdict just three hours after it took the case following closing arguments. The individual named Hankinson had been charged with three counts of wanton endangerment for firing through sliding glass doors and a window of Taylor's apartment during the raid that left the 26-year-old black woman dead. Hackinson's attorneys never contested the ballistic evidence, but said he fired 10 bullets because he thought his fellow officers were being executed. Former law Louisville police officer Brett Hankinson is questioned by the prosecution as he discusses his position during the attempted execution of a search warrant. Hankinson said that he saw the muzzle flash from Taylor's darkened hallway after police burst through the door and thought officers were under heavy fire, so he quickly wheeled around a corner and sprayed 10 bullets. But in closing arguments, prosecutors cast doubts on what Hankinson saw, challenging whether he could have looked through Taylor's front door. However, Hankinson was fired. Uh, the former narcotics detective admitted to firing through Taylor's patio doors and bedroom window, but said he did so to save the life of fellow officers. He was fired by the Louisville police for shooting blindly during the raid. And um, this individual was now found not guilty, still terminated by his department. Now, there's a lot, of, there's a lot to this ruling, and there's a lot to this case. Police use of force, as I said, is very, very misunderstood, especially when police should and can use deadly force. In this particular set of circumstances, the officer did not show a target when he opened fire. And his, his testimony is that he fired into the apartment um, trying to save the lives of his officers, uh, the officers. When a police officer opens fire on someone, the training that every officer receives when it comes down to the use of deadly force with a firearm is know your target. 
Know your target. Know the backdrop of your of of where you are shooting because you are responsible for where those rounds go. I personally do not believe that this officer used the proper judgment or the proper uh, uh, tactics when he opened fire into that apartment because he couldn't see and identify a target. And for that, there should have been repercussions and there were repercussions resulting in his termination. But did this rise to the level of charging him criminally? And I submit to you that the proper areas where, uh, where justice should be served and could be served and was served is in the civil aspects of this case, that is, not the criminal courts, but the civil courts, which of course resulted in a massive payout to the family of Breonna Taylor, and also in regards to policy, in the rules and regulations of the agency. And in this case, this officer was terminated because of it. But to, but to charge someone criminally is something that I want to, I really want to bring out to you because there has been a massive sea change in the environment of law enforcement and its relationship to prosecutors in the United States. This is a, this is a deep topic because in the last six or seven years, there have been numerous district attorneys and prosecutors placed into office with massive amounts of money being funded, funding their campaigns by groups and by people like George Soros. It was a brilliant tactic and a brilliant strategy by the political left because by putting what I call Trojan horse district attorneys into the positions of power, where they can make absolute decisions about who they're going to prosecute, whether on the um, uh, against the, the criminal element or against law enforcement, we have seen a trend, and that trend is not holding criminals accountable accountable for their for their crimes, but a massive sea change in the use of the criminal justice system to prosecute police. We're seeing it on, on an incredibly frequent basis. And it is so incredibly damaging to our criminal, to the true criminal justice system and to the police. You know, when a police officer makes a decision to use deadly force or use um, uh, a high level of force against an individual, it is always 99.9% .9 based on the actions of the individual that they are that they are using force against. And what police officers are trained to do is use the force necessary to affect the arrest or use the force necessary to stop the threat. These decisions are made within split seconds and can literally alter the trajectory of a police officer's life. And we have seen it time and time 
and time again. Let's look back at the incident at Ferguson when um, the quote, unarmed black male was killed by a white police officer as that narrative came out of hands up, don't shoot. One of the greatest myths and frauds ever perpetuated on the American people because hands up, don't shoot never happened. And the quote unarmed offender was armed when he tried to wrest the, the pistol from the police officer and the gun went off. He was no longer an unarmed individual. Remember this, whenever there is an encounter between the police and an individual who they are arresting, there is always a firearm present. And in the annals of history of law enforcement, thousands of police officers have been killed with their own firearm. So when you hear that phrase, unarmed, it is often used as a methodology to create the, the um, narrative that the uh, either the um, individuals who are making these accusations against the police or the media or the or many times politicians they want that narrative and when you look deeper into the facts surrounding the use of force you will see why so many the vast 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 majority are determined to be lawful uses of force so when you have a district attorney like Chesa Bowden in San Francisco, like George Gascone in Los Angeles, like Kim Fox, like um, uh, Alvin Bragg in New York. You have district attorneys who have a political agenda. That political agenda is an anti-law enforcement political agenda. And so they are willing to use their offices to um, perpetuate that political agenda. And they do that by using their power to prosecute and persecute law enforcement officers. A perfect example is occurring right now in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas is like the San Francisco of Texas. And they have a Trojan horse district attorney named Garza who was put into that position um, after being funded millions and millions of dollars by George Soros and his organizations. He was elected on the platform of, quote, police reform, unquote. And he has proven that he is uh, an ardent um, uh, individual who wants to prosecute the police. And to that end, he just indicted 19 Austin police officers just two weeks ago. Why? Because they used force defending themselves when they were attacked by thousands of rioters following the George Floyd riots. This agency was tasked with, with dealing with these violent, violent riots 
Of course, they were called peaceful protests by Garza and his minions in, in, the, in the political left. But in point of fact, these officers were under attack. They were under attack. They were getting hit with bricks and bottles and frozen water bottles and urine and feces. They were having lasers shined into their eyes. They were under physical attack. They used the tools that they were given, such as low lethality ammunition, low lethality shotguns, which instead of firing buckshot, which would kill that, kill the, the, the people they were, they were firing at, is designed to um, induce pain with a beanbag round that hits them uh, at, a, at a high rate of speed and can knock the wind out of you and, and be physically painful. And they were using these and tear gas to move the, the, the offenders away from them. They were defending themselves, pure and simple. Garza, two years later, has now indicted 19 of them. They are now, uh, they are now fighting for their very freedom because of what I consider to be uh, malfeasance on the part of this district attorney. In fact, I go, I'll go a step further. I believe that this is an illegal act because it is prosecutorial misconduct at its very core. You know, here's a harsh reality that we have seen across the United States. <clears throat> that is, we are constantly hearing this word. We need to hold the police accountable. Hold the police accountable. In fact, the President of the United States said it at a State of the Union address. Hold the police accountable. No one is holding the district attorneys accountable for their decisions. And this is a prime example. How can a prosecutor have no consequences for making a decision to prosecute, persecute 19 police officers who were simply doing their duty and defending themselves? And now these police officers are, will be on trial for their very lives and their, their livelihoods. Governor Abbott of Texas mentioned the other day that he was thinking of pardoning these officers, uh, which of course should be done, but they should never have been prosecuted in the first place. And this district attorney, they can't even sue him. Police officers can get sued. But the district attorney can't, even though he is the highest law enforcement officer in that county, and it is his decision that is now endangering the lives of these officers in, in, in both because of being in the criminal justice system, being facing the possibility of jail time. We know how police officers are treated in jail and also the mental and emotional aspects facing their indictment and arrest. So when I talk about the Breonna Taylor case and where the correlation exists, it's the difference between holding someone accountable civilly and procedurally as opposed to criminally. And we have seen a, a massive surge in decisions by district attorneys to go after officers criminally instead of through the proper uh, methods of dealing with, with uh, situations of either misconduct 
or um, use of force. Um, we're coming towards the end of the show, and um, if you listened or watched this show, you know that every week I do something called End of Watch, where we memorialize those men and women who have lost their lives in the line of duty. And um, unfortunately, I have more names to read this week. The first is Lieutenant Scott Brandon Owens of the Union City Police Department in Oklahoma. Lieutenant Brandon Owens died as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. Lieutenant Owens was a United States Army veteran who had served with the Union City Police for five years. He is survived by his wife and two children. Lieutenant Scott Brandon Owens, Union City Police Department, Oklahoma. End of watch, Tuesday, March 1, 2022. The second is Senior Police Officer Robert Duran of the Santa Fe, New Mexico Police Department. Senior Police Officer Robert Duran was killed in a vehicle crash while pursuing who was initially believed to be a carjacking suspect on the old Pecos Trail exit. Officers responding to the initial call of a carjacking and abduction located the vehicle near the intersection of Sawmill Road and St. Francis Drive. The driver led officers on a pursuit that went onto the interstate. As the vehicle continued to flee, it crossed the median and continued driving southbound in the northbound lanes until colliding with an oncoming car. Two patrol cars were also involved in the crash. Officer Duran and a retired firefighter driving the other vehicle were killed in the crash. The driver of the fleeing vehicle and another officer were injured. It was later determined that the woman driving the car had made up the story and had told unwitting 911 caller she was being abducted. Further investigation, the woman had been charged with making a similarly false report six months earlier. She has been charged with two counts of first-degree murder and other felonies. Officer Duran has served the Santa Fe Police Department for seven years and was assigned to the patrol section. He is survived by his wife and two sons. Senior Police Officer Robert Duran, Santa Fe Police, New Mexico. <clears throat> End of watch, Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. And the third officer <clears throat> is Trooper Tamar Bucci of the Massachusetts State Police. Trooper Tamar Bucci was killed in a vehicle crash when her patrol SUV was struck by a tractor trailer in Stoneham. She had activated her emergency equipment and was moving to the side of the road to assist a stopped motorist when the crash occurred. Her patrol car was pushed against a cliff face as a result of the collision. Two passerby pulled her from the wreckage and the Stoneham Police Department began life-saving efforts. However, she succumbed to her injuries. Trooper Bucci had served the Massachusetts State Police for two years, she is survived by her parents, sisters, stepbrother, and stepsister. Trooper Tamar Bucci, Massachusetts State Police, end of watch Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in their line of duty. May they rest in peace. So this brings us to a close, and um, I would urge you to do this. If you want to support law enforcement officers, if you want to actually play a role in something that can help them, go to thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. And see how this organization is helping law enforcement officers across the United States. To date, we've been operational for almost three years. We have, we have changed the lives. We have saved lives. And we have shown police officers across the nation that they are not alone. 
More than 14,000 officers have been helped by this organization. They desperately need your help. And you can play that role simply by going to thewoundedblue.org and giving there. If you want a cool shirt like I'm wearing, or a mug, or a hat, go to thewoundedblue.org and hit the shop button. So two things you can do. Hit the shop button, hit the donate button, and you can help law enforcement. If you are a law enforcement officer and you're facing either physical or emotional and psychological injury, please reach out to us. This is why we exist. Thewoundedblue.org. I'm Lieutenant Randy Sutton, retired. And if you want to find me, I'm easy to connect with. You can contact me yourself, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's Randy at thewoundedblue.org. You can hit me up at Facebook under the Voice of American Law Enforcement or the Wounded Blue page and check us out there. This is Randy Sutton. Thank you so much for joining me again on the Voice for American Law Enforcement. We'll see you again next week.